Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Today is the fourth part of our emotional resilience series. It's called Stronger Together, Building Resilience Through Healthy Relationships. Have you ever been in a tight spot where a strong family relationship or a great friend provided you a space for staying sane or healing something that you just really needed? Stay tuned. I'm going to tell you a few of mine, and then we're going to get into a lot of great tips on how to make our relationships better and stronger. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Let me rattle off a few examples that just came to the top of my mind about how relationships had supported me. Once I was talking with my therapist during my marriage to an emotionally abusive man, and I was explaining how I had left and gone to my parents for the weekend. I remember her response because she praised me for intuitively going to a mentally safe space where, when things got hard to me, going to a space where there were supporting relationships. Big deal. Number two, I've noticed a comparison to times that I was single and had to deal with a hard day, a deep frustration or a difficult real estate client or betrayal of a friend, those things that pop up, those hard spaces for us. Comparing that to when I was single versus being married to a really good man whom I can vent with and go to for a place to talk and a shoulder to lean on, there is a very big difference in that. The next one that came to mind was that I love that I have healthy relationships with my siblings. We laugh together and we often play together. And at the very base of those relationships is the feeling that I have a strong base, that I have roots, that I'm not alone, that if I need them, they would be there for me. Knowing that strengthens me. As we develop loving relationships with others, our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual health is strengthened. Friends and family provide love and support and daily sounding boards, socialization, people we learn from and teach and people that we laugh with. We need each other. The adversary wants to isolate us from other people. He wants to deprive us of the blessings that come from healthy relationships. This episode is part four of the five-part series on emotional resilience, and this started from an emotional resilience course I took with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I want to share some of my biggest takeaways, and one of those was the support that we get from each other. Stronger together, building relationships, this is a big deal. It's a big deal because people were not made to rock things solo. You know this. If you have any self-awareness at all on any awareness of the world, we are social creatures. We really learned that during COVID, how much more difficult our mental health got. We all understand this because we are drawn to relationship. We want to find love. We seek after community and friendship. Babies who are not held in love that literally wither away and die. 
as I mentioned, I know for me when I was single and my kids would leave for the weekend and, you know, if, if, I, if all the work I was doing was, say, at home in my home office and I didn't interact with anyone, by the time Sunday got here, I could feel the crazy of being alone. <laughs> it's also why, you know, solitary confinement is considered the ultimate punishment in the penal system. We need each other. Today's emotional resilience episode is all about the reminder of the importance of those relationships. And perhaps this simple concept is the basis, the just the most basic of creative, healthy living. Today's show, I'm going to go over eight main points of how we can create healthy relationships. Things that you probably intuitively know, but it's always good to get a reminder We'll throw in a few recommendations and skills as well. So the first one, creating relationships means building relationships. This means that you have to take initiative and invest in the relationship. What does initiative look like? Maybe it looks like inviting someone to meet for lunch or to come over for dinner, to go on bike rides, to meet for an evening out, to go to the movies, reaching out to talk going on a walk, sharing ideas, like there's all kinds of things, anything that you want to do that's important in your life, reaching out and including other people, inviting them, making a point of investing time into these people that you care about to build relationship, to build memory. This is what we're talking about. There was a book that I read 25 years ago, gosh, and I've never forgotten. It's called Investment of of a Lifetime, A Personal Guide to Invest in Your Life. This book took an entirely different look at things than what I was useful or used to. The premise was looking at time as a commodity. You can put money aside and save it, but you cannot put time aside for future use. You either invest time or you spend it. And it taught me to look at my time as an investment. This investment attitude actually changed a lot of things for me because mindset is everything as we talk about. And when I started looking at the time I was spending with friends or siblings or my children as an investment, it made it mean something different than just being places and spending time. I want to share an example from that book. Okay. Ryan, a young father, shared the following incident. My wife called me at work one afternoon. She was in a real dilemma. She had a doctor's appointment and couldn't find anyone to stay with our kids, so she asked me to come home for a couple hours. I looked at my desk covered with work and was really reluctant to ask permission to slip out of the office, but I finally gave in to my wife's pleading and explained to my supervisor that I needed to leave for a few hours. As I drove home, I thought about the investment concept. Since I had committed to watch our children, I figured I had two options. I could either invest my time building a relationship with my two little girls, or I could merely spend my time tending them while waiting for my wife to return. I decided to test the investment concept. What happened? My attitude changed completely. I forgot about my desk covered with papers as I looked forward to my forthcoming investment. I had a great time coloring and playing with my girls, all the time reflecting how I was investing in our relationship, not just killing time. I felt really good as I experienced immediate returns. I later realized that my investment was far more reaching than I had initially anticipated. My wife really appreciated my help, so I was actually invested in her at the same time by letting her know that she's more important to me than work. 
the investing concept affected all four of us in a really beneficial way. I guess you could say we all reaped dividends. This is what this whole book is about. It's Investment of a Lifetime, again, by Casey Erickson. And it's an old book. I don't know if there are any new, you know, if it, how long it's been in print. But I love that idea because it really does change the mindset entirely, especially when I was raising young kids. Because for me, I didn't feel like I was like really investing my time unless I was accomplishing and doing something big and thinking big thoughts. So when it came to being with small children, that was a little bit harder for me. But when I looked at it as an investment in them, an investment in our relationship, it shifted the way I thought about it. So this is a really super cool tool. Creating relationships means building relationship. And as you are doing that, shift into this investment mindset. Okay, number two, become genuinely interested in people. Learn what other people love and enjoy. If there are people in your life that you want to build relationship with, the things that are important to them should draw some concern from you. And what I mean by that is when you support things that are important to them, you are building relationship. We don't have to have everything in common. That's not what I'm saying. But real friendship supports and cares about things that are important to your friends and your family members, your spouse. My real friends care about my podcast and show interest because they know it's important to me. We all are caught up in our own worlds for sure. But when we truly care about someone, then we support them. We know what's important to them and we care about their success. Check in with yourself about your relationships. How many people in your sphere of influence, people that you feel like are important to you, the relationships you want to nurture, do you really know what's important to them and do you share in that with them? My husband has decided to become a pilot and he cares about this new endeavor so I listen and support and help him make time for something that's important to him. You may have a child who participates in a sport or extracurricular activity. You go to those games or concerts, you watch and cheer. This goes back to number one about being willing to invest in our relationships. So they're all kind of tied together. But in this type of caring and support, you are also building and intertwining, um, showing that you care about them, that you're willing to invest your time and who you are. Part of this skill that we can all work on a little is not interrupting. So here's the next one, number three. Be a good listener. As a journalist, I am naturally inquisitive, so I'm always asking a lot of questions. And when I meet someone that I, that I don't know, I'm genuinely interested in their answers. I find that this makes me a great conversationalist because people can always talk about themselves. <laughs> it's a topic they know. It's a topic they understand. Not to mention that most people deeply want to be seen and heard and appreciated. So part of this skill is as I just mentioned, not interrupting. And the reason that I bring this up is because the first time I really saw this in action was back in my early 20s. I was over at my boyfriend's house talking with his parents, and I noticed that when someone was talking, they would let the person finish completely before they put in their two cents. And this is fascinating to me because it was weird, and I noticed that it was weird because most people just flow almost interrupting at the end of the next person's, so the conversation just kind of goes from one to the next. There's never a break. And so it was fascinating when I noticed that they did it with each other. 
they did it even when they didn't agree with each other. And whenever I would speak, they would let me completely finish my thought before giving theirs. It was peaceful. It was different. It was noticeable, which makes me realize how little we all do that. Bryant H. McGill said, quote, one of the most sincere forms of respect is actually listening to what another has to say. Catherine Reynolds, our resident therapist on this Emotional Resilience series, she says that she recommends this skill. She calls it empathic listening. So here's how she explained it. And with your clients, do you teach <laughs> any um, communication skills that help them um, as they're trying to create these better personal yep. relationships? Yeah, I call it empathic listening skills. Okay, what does and that look they like? Have three steps. So the first step is uh, a statement of feelings on one side, the partner shares, and the other person is reflectively listening just by looking at them and being present, not needing to interrupt. And then the second stage is letting the partner who is listening summarize what they heard and just summarize facts. No opinions, no reflections, and no responses. Just summarizing. We are so quick to respond with what we think or how we feel about it. We don't need to do that. We need to just hear them and summarize and make sure we understood. The second after that, is uh, how do they? How must they be feeling about it? So like an empathic reasoning. Maybe she feels frustrated. Yeah, maybe she feels like sad about this. So it's always an emotion word. It's not she feels that and then a thought follows. It's she feels sad, mad, angry, frustrated. And is this and so about the person hearing it or the person talking? Mm -hmm. So there's two partners in this empathic listening. The person shares. The first step is the summary. The second step is the empathic reflection, which allows the person who is sharing to just say, yeah, yeah, I did feel frustrated. Like it feel, mm -hmm. it validates their experience. And then the third one is reflective, open-ended questions. And then they're very open-ended. They can't be leading. Like, does it make you feel mad when I do this? <laughs> then it's a yes or no question. That's not helpful. Instead saying, so when that happens, what's it like for you when I react this way? Then the client, the person's able to share a little bit more about how they feel. In addition, and it doesn't end there with now, he's, he's going to tell her or vice versa how they feel about their comment. That's great. It's, it really fosters. It's I kind of consider it magic. It's always feels effective when I see it in session. Good relationships are based on respect. Besides, when you really listen to what another person is trying to communicate to you, you can discover some very interesting things about the person, about who they are, about how they function, about your relationship, maybe even about the world. Okay, let's talk about number four. Make others feel important. Do it sincerely. We all love to feel important, and everyone is important. When we respect each other, listen to each other, support each other, and take time for each other, we are communicating that that person is important to us. So all the things we've talked about so far are in support of this. Isn't it interesting how they all weave together? One of my primary love languages is time. 
And when people are willing to invest their time with me, playing, working, talking, I feel important to them. The book, The Five Love Languages, very popular. If you haven't heard of it, I'd be surprised. But if you haven't, look it up. It basically breaks down the five primary different ways that people feel loved. So you can spend time with someone, but if their love language is service, you might be speaking Greek to a Frenchman. The idea is to determine what your beloved, the people that you care about, love languages are so that you can speak your love in a way that they can hear. Is a great tool, figuring out the love languages of the people that you care about that you want to make them feel loved. But the greater point I'm making here with number four is that when we feel important to someone, we can build deeper relationships very naturally. We can become more vulnerable. Make your people feel important to you. We build real relationships one person at a time. And relationships take time. In fact, We don't have enough time in our lives to have relationships with everyone, and that's something that we can acknowledge and accept. There are levels. Think of it like a layered cake. The bottom layer may be all your acquaintances. The next layer is the people that you consider friends. The next layer are your really close friends, maybe the ones that you want to invest your time with. And the top layer may be your partner, your children, the people who get the most of your time and attention. And It's perfectly okay, and I'd say important, to determine which relationships are the ones you want to invest in most heavily and strengthen and build those. Have you heard the saying that you are, and this is paraphrasing so it's not exact, but basically you're the accumulative of the five people you hang around with the most or along the lines of you can kind of tell where your energy levels are and what type of person you are by looking at the five people you hang around with the most. This becomes an important thing to take stock of and to consider. When you're choosing who you want to build those relationships with, what is most important to you? What kind of person do you want to be? Who are the people that you want to build relationships with that are important to your life story? So comes back basically to choosing friends wisely. And this isn't saying we're only being nice to a few people, but it is saying that we have limited time, that we can only invest so much, like we can only invest in so many people at a time. That doesn't mean we're not kind, that we're not giving, that we're not wise in our energy and our kindness that we put out into the world. But Choosing our friends wisely, those who emulate the type of life you want to live, and then taking the time and the love that you want to invest into those. Live at a higher vibrational level and spend time with the people who live in that space. Okay, let's talk about number five. Let's talk about being the type of person who is understanding and non-judgmental. Being understanding and non-judgmental just makes us happier. This isn't just something we do for others. This is something we do for us also. You know, I know that everyone naturally makes judgments about situations and about people they interact with on a regular basis. We have to. You know, we have to make judgments about do we want to stay in a certain place? Is it a good place for us? Are, are these ideas that we want to support, etc., etc.? But it's also very important that we are careful about passing judgment on other people, being good friends, loving fully, you know, being aware also that when we feel hurt or angry or envious, that we throw judgments around even more liberally. 
So as you're looking at your relationships, are you extending understanding? Are you staying in a place of non-judgment? If you find yourself doing that in your relationships, you'll also notice that the judgment is really taxing on the relationships. So choosing to allow, choosing God to sort through whatever judgments need to be made, just loving people, allowing for that can take you tremendous places and creating positive relationship and supporting people. The way that I'm seeing this in my life right now is that my children are making choices that aren't necessarily the choices that I would make for them. And I know that it's very important to them that I that they not feel judged by me. They want to be loved by me. They want to be supported by me. They don't want to be judged by me. And this has been sort of an interesting balance because my mother instinct to guide, to direct, to correct, that's there. But since they are adults now, I also get to do this space of stewardship over ownership, of being there with love and trying to stay away from that judgment space and hoping that when they make choices that I don't necessarily feel are right or not the choices that I think will be best for them, that they will learn from those spaces and leaving that up to God. And you know, in truth, it really does make me happier to be non-judgmental. It's more relaxing, it's more allowing, and it also doesn't build barriers between me and them, between me and other people. So I, f- I feel like this is a powerful thing just to take a look at. Number six, this is one of the challenges in the 21 Challenges book. This is my book called Living Intentional and Fearless Every Day. And it is giving the benefit of the doubt. Henry B. Eyring, an apostle in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in the Enzyme in 2018, said, quote, When you meet someone, treat them as if they were in serious trouble, and you will be right more than half of the time. Unquote. Allow for grace in the lives of others and give grace. Giving the benefit of the doubt is powerful and saves so many relationships. Okay, number seven. Conflict resolution is an important part of being emotionally intuitive and in being able to maintain relationships because people will always have differences of opinion. Conflict can happen because we have different values, different perceptions, different motivations, different ideas, different stories going on in our heads. In the April 2023 General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the entire theme seemed to focus on being peacemakers seeking to find solutions to conflict. This must start on an individual basis in individual relationships. So if you're not very good at it, it's definitely something to start practicing. Communicating, as we all know, becomes crucial in relationships. When there is conflict, communication is the way we resolve that conflict, not ignoring it, not waiting for it to go away. How do you do that successfully? One primary tool that's often suggested and was suggested in this emotional resilience class that I was using is called using I messages. When you use I messages, you are identifying your feelings rather than blaming other people. For example, how do you feel if someone says, you never listen to anyone and you're not listening to me? Now let's switch and use an I statement, which you could say instead, I feel hurt when I don't think I'm understood or respected when I'm sharing my ideas. Keeping eye contact and letting me finish my ideas helps me feel like you care. Here's another example. 
You are so inconsiderate and thoughtless versus I feel unimportant when you miss dinner without calling. So as you strive to communicate better in your relationships, consider the you statements versus the I statements. I'd also like to refer you back to episode 231. We talked about clearing conversations. This episode goes into detail on how to approach someone when you need to clear something up in a relationship, and it's really a great formula. And I have to tell you, there have been a number of relationships in my life where people have been, and by a number, I just mean a handful, but they were important relationships where they were upset with me, where they built stories about something or misinterpreted something. And instead of coming to me, having the respect for me and for our relationship to have a clearing conversation, to give me the benefit of the doubt, to talk through something, they have simply gone behind my back or said unkind things or terminated the relationship when how much better it would have been that relationship would have been saved if they'd simply had a clearing conversation with me and said, you know, this is the story I have in my mind about something that's going on. How do you see it? Like what's going on with you? This is a big one. Conflict resolution, knowing how to do it, not being afraid to approach people that are important to you, being able to step into this space of creating peace and talking things out when you need to. Super big. Super big on maintaining relationships, super big on understanding loved ones in relationships, and super big because there's always going to be differences. So practice this. Number eight, let's just get back to plain old love, shall we? Charity. Dieter F. Uchtdorf in the Enzyme in May of 2016, again, he's an apostle in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he said, quote, whatever problems your family is facing, whatever you must do to solve them, the beginning and the end of the solution is charity, the pure love of Christ. Without this love, even seemingly perfect families struggle, and with it, even families with great challenges succeed, unquote. You have heard the saying, whether... Whatever the issue, the answer is love. I actually have this in a big thing on on my wall, a great big wood board that says, whatever the question, the answer is love. Whatever the issue, the answer is love. When you are in a bind dealing with any type of relationship, take stock and see how you can move out of judgment, move out of fear, move out of offense and into a space of love. So let's close up now with this rundown of these eight points that we've discussed for creating and strengthening our personal relationships. If you found just one that you can work on, perfect, that's your challenge for this week. Relationships are such a crucial part of living a happily and emotionally resilient life. So number one, invest time into your relationships. Number two, become genuinely interested in these people. Three, become a good listener. Four, make people feel important. Five, be understanding and not judgmental. Six, give the benefit of the doubt whenever you can. Seven, practice conflict resolution. Eight, charity. Approach relationships with grace and understanding and not judgment. Okay, let's do an exercise. We're going to close here by thinking about someone with whom you can build a stronger relationship, someone in your mind. Now identify three things that you can do to strengthen that relationship. For example, I am choosing my husband. 
The three things that I wrote down when I did this that I wanted to work on were one, to listen better without interruption. Two, don't criticize. Three, when we have differing opinions, I will say something like, you may consider instead of you should do X, Y, or Z. I think in this third step also really comes that important part of using the I statements rather than the you statements. So these three are the things I can work on. What are yours? What three things? And you know what? Don't even worry about three things. If you can choose one to really focus on in your relationships, let's do it. Let's do that. Because our relationships can be one of our biggest, most significant resources for emotional resilience and survival, I encourage you to nurture them carefully and with great love. Because this is part of the beauty of creating a meaningful life. The relationships we invest in are the highlight of our time, the highlight of our lives. Thank you for being here. We'll see you in two weeks for the last installment part five of the emotional resilience series.